The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. While you're turning there, I remind you the last Sunday of each month, um, the other Sundays, of course, we have children's church going on in, uh, in the back of the building. But the last Sunday of every month, we have a family worship day where all of us are in here together. And so um, today, uh, we thank uh, Brian for that lesson on the Reformation. I'm glad that you said that that was a hammer in his hand. Didn't that kind of look like a turkey bone from the fair? <laughs> Am I the only one that thought that? All right, sorry about that. My mind might have been <laughs> bouncing around a little bit. But uh, so now what we want to do is take that lesson and see if we can't speak uh, to all of us here to today. And uh, so Philippians chapter number three, uh, would you follow along reading with me in verse uh, one through 11? And then we'll pray and we'll say a word or two about the scripture today. Uh, Philippians chapter number three, beginning in verse number one, finally, My brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in their own flesh, well, me far more. Well, why is that? Well, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish or refuse or dung, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own which is derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith." that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, now we have read Your Word. We ask that You would put Your blessing upon the reading of Your holy and wonderful Word. And I pray now, Lord, that You give me clarity the power of the sweet Spirit of God to deliver Your Word. I pray that every man, woman, and child in this room for the next few minutes would focus with much intensity. Lord, that we would not be thinking about um, the uh, soup and chili this evening yet, and the games, nor all that the rest of this day has in front of us, but just for a few moments, Lord, help us to focus upon Your Word and Your Son and change our hearts, for it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, John Steinbeck uh, wrote a bunch of short stories that I enjoy uh, reading, and one of the ones he wrote, a short story was called Flight, 
And ironically, that short story is found in a compilation book called The Long Valley. All right. So, uh, it is a long valley of short stories. And, uh, this book is about, or this short story is about a young boy in his teenage years. And, uh, he's forever telling his mom that he's macho. He's a man. I'm a man, mom. I'm a man. And I'll always be a man. And, uh, like many mothers do with their sons, uh, she would always say, uh, no, son, you're just a little peanut. That's what you are. You're a peanut. And forever, the boy's name is Pepe. He's always saying, Mom, I am a man. I'm a man. I want to be a man. That's what it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a man. And one day, his mom finally says to him, well, why don't you go to the next town over, stay with your aunt and uncle, and then bring back some sugar from the store. And so, young Pepe, the boy, takes off and goes to the next town. He stays with his aunt and his uncle. And, and then, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, there are some other teenage boys that begin a tussle and a fight. And in a moment of stupidity, Pepe pulls out his little pocket knife and he accidentally stabs another boy in the chest and kills him. And he runs in the night and he comes home to his mom. And no longer does he have a 13-year-old step nor a smile. But life has faded from him. And the joy is gone from life. And he realizes that he took somebody's life. But in the middle of all of that, he still rises up to his mom and he says, but now I'm a man. And she says, you are not a man, and you cannot stay here for the law will come to get you. And the rest of the story is the next several months of Pepe's life on the run. And the law is always coming after him. And he wants to be a man in hunger. He wants to be a man in the desert. He wants to be a man, though he's being chased down all of his life. And all that he wants is that great expectation to meet and fulfill the law to be a man. And at the end of the story, Pepe climbs to the top of a hill and he sees the law coming up the side of the hill to get him. And he is beaten and worn and tired. And month after month after month, he has tried to live up one goal in his life, to be a man. And he stands on the top of the hill. He holds out his hands as if to defy the law. And he slips and he falls to the bottom and the rocks fall on young Pepe and kill him as a boy. And he was crushed by the unbearable burden of trying to do and to be what he could not be on his own. And there are many people like that in this room today. Somewhere in your life, you have determined what you think it is to be successful or to be acceptable in the eyes of God. And you're trying and trying and trying to meet the expectations of the law. And as Martin Luther discovered in Romans 3 in verse number 20, that no one can meet the expectations of God's law. And if you're not careful, you will die and go out into eternity crushed by the heavy burden of trying to fulfill a law that you cannot fulfill on your own. 
When we come to this text that's before us in Philippians chapter number 3, verse 1 through 11, we find this to be the case, that the goal of the Christian life is to trust Christ and not trust yourself. Let me say that again for all of us in here. It is not to follow your heart's desire. It is not to put on your bootstraps and trying to be everything that you can be and be a man and make it in this life. No, the goal of the Christian life is to put your complete confidence in Christ Jesus alone and not yourself. In chapter 1 of Philippians, we find that Paul gives us that we are to continue on in the life of Christ. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul sets forth Timothy and Epaphroditus and himself as the example of how to live. And in this chapter, he gives us exhortations for living the Christian life. And it all culminates in this one central idea that the goal of the Christian life is to trust Christ and not yourself. Let me give you three simple points today. The first one is found in verse 1 through verse number 3, and it is this. Find joy in the fundamentals of the faith. I'm a basketball fan. Shaquille O'Neal used to call Tim Duncan the big fundamental. Michael Jordan said these words. He said, you can practice shooting eight hours a day, but if your technique is wrong, then all you've become is very good at shooting wrong. And we must go back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And look at what he says here in verse number 1. He says, finally, and whenever you're a preacher, you get at least three or four times in a sermon to say finally, all right? He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. What does he want these people to do? He wants them to take stock and to find joy and to rejoice, to make their joy in this. And then he says, to write the same things again is no trouble for me and it is a safeguard for you. The Apostle Paul had been there nine years previous to this. He had given them the gospel. He had told them that people are saved by faith, by grace, in Christ alone, plus nothing and minus nothing. And now he says to these dear folks, he says, listen, to write the same thing, to preach the same sermon, to tell you the truth of the gospel again, it is no problem for me, but it is good for you. It is a safeguard for you. And you should find joy in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And then, what are those fundamentals? First of all, the fundamentals of the Christian faith teach us to be wary and to be, to be careful about false doctrine. Look at verse number 3. Or verse number 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Those are three ways to describe the same people. These are Judaizers, or in that day, these are people that are adding to the gospel. They say, yes, you can be saved by faith, but you also need to be circumcised. And of course, you probably didn't come to church today to hear a lecture on circumcision. That's kind of odd. But it was a Jewish practice that was given to the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and it was originally given to them as an outward sign of an inward covenant that God made with His people. He said, this I promise to you. In fact, in Genesis chapter number 17, God gives that sign to Abraham on the basis of faith, not on the basis of works. And what does the Apostle Paul do? He says, be careful about this false doctrine that adds to the Gospel that says you need Jesus plus something. You need Jesus plus a good life. You need Jesus plus baptism. You need Jesus plus coming to church. You need Jesus plus joining a church. My dear friends, I want all of you to know today, especially living in the South, you cannot go to heaven by proxy. 
It does not matter whether when it comes to salvation, whether your parents and grandparents were believers in Christ, you alone will stand before the King of glory and give an account for your own life. And if you stand before God and say, I was a good person, I did this, I did this, I, 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 you'll have no leg to stand on. Christianity is a faith built upon Jesus Christ alone. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of our own works, so that no one can boast in their own accomplishments. I want to say to all of us here, I was thinking as I, last night I was reading praying through this passage, and I thought, you know what? I try and be so kind to all the, you know, to all the false teachers out there and stuff, but the Apostle Paul, he calls them a bunch of dogs. You see that? You're a bunch of dogs. You're a bunch of evil workers. You're a bunch of false circumcision. Be careful, be careful, be careful about what you let come into your mind as doctrine and as truth. I want you to understand that the Bible teaches that we are saved by Christ alone. The Apostle Paul says to another church, having begun in the Spirit, would you now have it any other way? Our righteousness is not from ourselves. It is from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Not only should we find joy in the fundamentals that teach us to be careful of false doctrine, it should also teach us to worship God in spirit. Look at what it says here in verse number 3. For we are the true circumcision. That is, not so one outwardly, but one inwardly before the Lord. We are the true circumcision. And then what does it say here? Who worship in the Spirit of God. What did Jesus say to the lady in the, at the well in John chapter number four? He said, and now is the time when all true worshipers shall worship me in spirit and in truth. If we are going to worship God, it must be because the spirit of God has moved and take up residence in our own hearts and lives and he alone allows us to worship God. Not only that, but notice next it says that these fundamentals teach us to glory in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? We are to worship in truth and worship in spirit, and we are to glory in Jesus Christ. This is not a religion of ourselves. It is a religion that gives glory to Jesus. And then lastly, in verse number 3, it says that they teach us to put no confidence in the flesh. Just take note here that uh, in verse number 2, it ends by saying that these false teachers... You notice where it says false circumcision? Verse number 3 begins by saying, we are the true circumcision. There's two separate words there. In verse number 2, it says that these false teachers, it is the same word for the word mutilation. Yeah. Not circumcision. Anytime God makes a covenant with His people, it always results in our good and His glory. But any time you try to make a covenant with God based on your own accomplishments and your own work and your own doing, you will always end up with mutilation. You will always end up distorting the plan of God for your life. Ultimately, what God wants for us is to give up, to lay down our weapons of pride, and to say, Lord Jesus Christ, 
I need You to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And at this moment, I give You everything. Is that where you are today? Are you believing and trusting in the fundamentals of the Christian faith? You're careful not to take in false doctrine. You're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. You are giving glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And you are putting no confidence in your flesh. You see the word flesh there in your text in verse number 3. The New Testament uses that word in multiple ways, but here's probably the best way to understand flesh. It simply means life apart from Jesus. When you say, am I in the flesh when Christians use that term, right? we got to explain that to people that are unfamiliar with what... All we mean by that is being in the flesh or being in the world or being is... It just simply means anything that you can do apart from the help of God is in the flesh alone. And so many people live their lives apart from the help of God It's not that God wants you to be dumb. It's not that God does not want to use your skills and talents and abilities. It's not that God hasn't created you beautiful and wonderful and intelligent. It's simply this. God wants you to take everything that you have and humbly submit it to Him. And when it is aligned properly, and you are trusting Him alone for your salvation, He will then use your life to His glory and the good of the world around. But if all you do is turn inward and be narcissistic, and you make yourself the center of attention, you will always end up mutilating God's plan for your life. We rejoice and we find joy in these simple, fundamental truths that we cannot have confidence ourselves that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, and lives forevermore to save. Amen? (laughs) So yesterday... Uh, Connie and the ladies were coming back and I was at the house just kind of reading and praying a little bit and I jumped on Facebook for a minute and uh, I saw one of my brothers here in the church. He was having a, he, he had posted something. Somebody, somebody had put something up and he had posted, he said, the gospel never changes. And somebody else who I have no idea who they are, they don't go here at all, had written back on the, on that post, well, sometimes it changes or it changes with the times. And so, man, I jumped, I'm like a man, I'm going to beware of false doctrine. I jumped on there. I said, the gospel never changes. Jesus died and rose again to save lost people. And then my brother here in the church kind of sent me a little message that said, yeah, my friend was just joking around. (laughs) Hey. I'd rather be a watchdog for the gospel than not. Amen? Don't believe lies. Any religion, any church, any religious speaker that would ever tell you that your eternal life in the future is dependent upon how good a person you are and what you do is lying to you. You cannot be saved by yourself. You must be saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone. Let me give you a second point. We'll move a little forward. In verse 4 to 6, here's the second point. Don't put confidence in even the best idols. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in this passage. Verse number 4, he says, Although I myself might have confidence 
in the flesh. If anybody's going to put confidence in the flesh, it's going to be me. And I mean, look what he, I don't even know. He says here, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He's talking about his family here of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin uh, brought forth the first king, King Saul, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a uh, pure blood. He's not muggle blood here. Okay. As to the law, he is a Pharisee. As to the zeal, he had persecuted the church and on and on and on. He says, if anybody has any reason to put confidence in themselves, it's me. I'm a good person. Now certainly, you know what? Most of the people in this room, uh, I think most of us in here would say, well, when it comes to the deeds of the flesh that are negative, we know that we shouldn't do that. Uh, major addictions and lying and cheating and stealing and coveting and adultery and all of these things. Of course we're to put those things off. Of course we're not to put our stock in those things. But what does the Apostle Paul here do? He flips it on his head and he says, there are good things that can become idols in your life. He says, Steve, what is an idol? Are you talking about a totem pole or, or, or some sort of statue somewhere? No, the Bible would teach that an idol is simply anything that takes the place of God in your life. He says, Steve, how would I know if I had an idol? Well, years ago, I would say, check your uh, check, uh, check register. Now I'd say, just check your online bank statement. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Isn't that what the Bible says? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? What do you give your allegiance to? That's where you'll know what your idols are. Can I just maybe point out a couple of idols that you might not be thinking about today? For some of you, family is an idol. I said, wow. I love my family. This is Family Sunday. We got the children down here. We're singing together. The seniors, everybody. It's Family Sunday. We love family here. We build family. We're strong on family. But if you have a family member in your life that so dominates all of your attention that that person or those people supersede the importance of Christ in your life, it's an idol. And furthermore, you're hurting them because you're placing unattainable expectations. Sometimes I'll do premarital counseling and, and some, some girl will fall in love with a guy and he is my, he is my Prince Charming. He's my hero. He's everything that I've always wanted and he will, he will perfect my life. Well, they are severely disappointed about three months into marriage. But you know what? They spend their lives putting that kind of expectation on a man who can never, ever live up to those expectations. There's only one man that can do that, and his name is Jesus Christ. Can I say another idol? Status. Oh, Steve, stop preaching, start meddling around in life. Isn't it time to leave here? All right, but status. Uh, can, I, can I just say something? When you watch when you watch those TV shows and reality TV shows and all this kind of stuff, and 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 you know you dream about that kind of life or having that kind of money or having that kind of fame, having that kind of success, having that kind of influence, it is fleeting, and it is useless, and it's worthless. And why on God's earth would you think about making that the pattern of your life when there's something so far greater? Don't make family. Don't make status. Let me give you another one. Being morally superior to people. You know, how, how many people, they, put, they make a God out of being morally superior. 
Don't put your confidence in even the best idols. Don't do this now, but if you want a good laugh this afternoon, just go home and, and Google trust fall gone wrong. Trust fall gone wrong. I had a blast this week with that. You know what the trust fall is, right? Where you got somebody behind you and you fall backwards and they, they catch you. Just, just Google trust fall gone wrong and you will find so many times where people were trusting somebody and they, they moved like that and the people just fall flat on their face and, and, uh, and they, they, you know, nobody's there to catch them. You know, when you trust yourself, it is always a trust fall gone wrong. Put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Let me finish this text by saying this. Look at verse 7 through 11. Verse 7 begins with what is gain to us. You see that? The Apostle Paul listed a bunch of things and they said, those things were gain to me. We are to count everything as loss in order to gain Christ. Verse 7 begins with this, what is gain, but look at the end of verse number 8. Verse 8 ends with Christ being what is gain for us. We begin the passage in verse 7 with, I count all things that were gained to me, yea, all things as a loss that I may win Christ. And verse number 8 finishes by saying that Christ is what is gained to us, but it is that center phrase in verse number 8 that brings the culmination to this whole passage where it says, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. We are to count all things as loss that we may know Christ. Can I just confess to you, I'm trying so hard in my life. I'm, I'm learning and praying. Man, even with this text, I've been praying. I said, Lord, I want to learn to value You more. I want to read more about Christ, pray more to Christ. I want people to speak into my life. And I, you know, I was just sitting around this week and saying, Lord, how do I love Jesus more? I don't think that's a bad question to ask ourselves. What can I do in my life? What can I read? What can I hear? What can I pray? Where can I go? What can I do to love Jesus more? Is that the kind of question you're asking with your life and work and family? Can I love Jesus more? Instead, I find that we are often our attention. We find wonder and amazement at the stupidest of YouTube videos, do we not? We will spend half a day watching the dumbest 30-second dance videos that you can imagine. But God has created a marvelous world and He has given the eternal Son to die for all of my sins and your sins. He's given us life everlasting and I cannot find value and glory in that. I want to do away with the one-hit wonders of my life. And I want to put the surpassing value of Jesus at the center of my life. You know what I mean when I say one-hit wonders, right? I think in this generation, it's the Gangnam style, right? A generation before, it was the Macarena. A generation before that, it was Red Red Wine by UB40. Got anybody here who remembers any of that? Some, oh, I got a little people in the balcony. One hit wonders, they sing a song, you never hear about them again. Do you, is Jesus a one hit wonder for you? 
Did you come to a place in your life one time where you found the all-surpassing goodness of Jesus and you said, that's a fire escape. I'll take my ticket out of hell and into heaven. I'll take Jesus. But you don't talk to Him. You don't pray to Him. You don't read about Him. You don't seek after Him and love Him and live for Him. The value of Jesus far surpasses everything. You say, why? Verse 9-11. through 11. Give me just a couple of minutes and I'll be finished. Verse 9-11 through 11 gives us the reasons for this all-surpassing value of Christ. It shows us the true blessings of counting everything as loss in order to gain Christ and be found in Him. Here's the two. Number one, true righteousness, which comes from God through the basis of faith and not our own righteousness that is derived from trying to keep the law. Don't you see how absurd self-righteousness is? Self-righteousness and putting confidence in yourself is absurd. It is insane. Why? Because you are missing the, the proverbial elephant that is in the room. When you put self-conscious in your life, and when you put self-righteousness in your life, you're comparing yourself horizontally with everybody else. And sure, you may be better than your neighbor. You may be better than the people of this church. But when you compare yourself to the greatness of God, your self-righteousness is nothing. It's ridiculous. It is insane to hold on to your self-goodness in the light of God's righteousness. But if you'll let go of that and put your trust in Jesus, He will give you the righteousness of His Son. And then secondly, true relationship. True righteousness, true relationship which entails knowing Him intimately through the cross and the resurrection. When you have a true relationship with Jesus, you can stand all of the storms of life. Well, let me just finish with this. I had to thinking about Pepe. That story. I've had that, I've had that story on my heart for the last two weeks. I want to be a man. I want to do it my way. I have in my mind what the law demands of me, and it demands that I be a man. And all of his life, short though it was, he seeks after pursuing his own manliness, and he dies as a boy crushed under that kind of weight. And this came to my mind. Would it not be better still for all of the people in this room to learn the lesson from the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Listen to these words. I think Pepe should have learned these. Did we in our own strength confine, our striving would be lost. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus it is He. Lord Sabaoth His name from age to age the same. And He must win the battle. There are people in this room right now that are trying to live life and wade your way through being as good as you can, trying to live up to a standard that you know intimately and inwardly you will never, ever reach.
Do you have enough humility to lay that down in your heart and come to the only man of God's own choosing who will save you and change you from the inside out? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? Hey, if you're visiting with us today, this is, uh, we're not going to call you out. We're not asking you to do anything. We just, we kind of just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment so that we have a moment of privacy. Okay? So, there's nobody here looking around. Okay? And, and today I'm not going to ask you even to come forward. A minute, we'll stand and sing for a moment together. But just right where you are, please, nobody looking around, member or visitor, man, woman, boy or girl, just, just pray quietly, okay? If you're here today and, and you just, you say, man, you know, something you're saying resonates and I, I'm not, I'm not even sure about Jesus. I'm not sure about all of this, but I certainly, I, I certainly will consider it. And I, I certainly will, I want to know a little bit more about this. Some, some things aren't right in my life. Nobody is looking around. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but would you just, would you just quickly meet eyes with me so we can pray for you? This week, thank you. Somebody else, thank you. Say, man, I, I look. It doesn't matter how old you are, or how young you are, how long you've been in church, or how you've never been in church. Anybody else today? Just quickly raise your eyes to me and meet my eyes. Okay. My my dear friend, can I just tell you the people in this room that are genuine believers in Christ? They are all on your side. And we are praying for you. For God's grace in your life. Well, what I want to encourage you is, in a minute we'll stand and sing together. Um, sometime today, I'll be here all day. Uh, or, or tomorrow, this week. Um, the staff here, our email addresses are on the back of the bulletins. You can stop us. You can talk to us. We want to help you. I don't want you just to rush into a decision that you're not ready for. I want you to be wholehearted about it. But if God is working on your heart right now and you're uncertain about your eternal future, please, don't let that slip away. Think about that. I just want to say, you can trust Christ. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You can talk with God right where you are. And if you'll talk to Him and say, I do believe that Jesus died and rose again. I do believe that He is Lord and I'm a sinner. And if you'll call to Him, He will save you right where you are. You say, will a cloud come down and lightning hit me on the head? No. But He will change you from the inside out. You can be assured of that. And we want to help you walk down that path together. My beloved members of the church here, let us not be people that have come to the grace of God and now live in a works-based religion. Let us make sure that Jesus is the surpassing value and glory of our life in every facet of life. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.